You know, this is the, the, the final week before, um, before the end of the year, and so next week's going to be Christmas, and then we have the, the new year. And so this is an opportunity for, for, I like to take this week typically each year and just share a few things that, that are, um, I think, important for all of us, some things that, that God has certainly placed on my heart. And typically here at Calvary, we'll open up the Bible and we'll work through a passage of Scripture and we'll certainly come back to that. But today I want to be able to share just a few things that I, I think are very important as we reflect on the coming year and looking back at the, the past year. So as we do that, let's uh, go ahead and let's bow our heads and let's open up with prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now we are going to look at what your word says. And Lord, here's what I'm asking today. I am asking you to open our hearts, our minds, and our ears and help us to see, hear, and understand what it is that you specifically would want to say to each of us. Lord, I pray that as we walk away from here today, that we would know that we know that we know that we've heard from you, and Lord, that you would give us some action steps as we go forward in our walk with you, as we end this year and as we look forward to the new year. So be with us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, again, as I said just a moment ago, we typically open up our Bibles each week and we work through a passage of Scripture. I'm looking forward to coming back to Matthew. We'll be in Matthew chapter 16. And uh, Matthew 16, Jesus is going to be talking about uh, you, you need to understand the signs of the times in which you live in. And I think that you and I live in a very unique generation. And we're going to be talking a great deal about that as we come back to Matthew here in, in the next couple of weeks. But because it's the end of the year and because the children were up today, I thought that we would do something just a little bit different. Maybe you're like me. It's at the end of the year, and as I think about this past year and I think about the coming year, I tend to become very introspective. And uh, maybe a little bit more so this year than other years, because I, I, like in your family, this has been a big year in our family. You know, we, we had a, a number of things take place. Cheryl and I celebrated 21 years as of marriage this, this year, and then we also celebrated 20 years here at Calvary, and what a, what a journey it's been. We saw our oldest son get married in September, and I shared with you the story there how when uh, we were at his wedding on Long Island in New York, it was the same weekend, it was on a Sunday night, the same weekend that the hurricane was rolling through South Florida. So on the one hand, we're celebrating the wedding. On the other hand, we're glued to our smartphones, wondering if we're going to have a house to come back to. So it's kind of this interesting experience. We uh, saw our oldest, our next oldest son, Daniel, go away to PBA and live on campus and begin college. And uh, for me, even though it's only a half half hour away and he was home every weekend and he came home a couple of times during the week. I was an emotional I was an emotional wreck the first couple of weeks cuz you know he wasn't there and I'm just so used to having him there and I like having everybody there. And I know that the goal is to see them launch and all that so I'm happy on that end. And and uh, so we, we saw that this year. Our family celebrated only five trips to the emergency room. So that's a pretty good year for us. And uh, the the first trip to the do you want to hear this by the way? So, so the, okay, so the, the, the first trip to the emergency room was in March. And what took place, the way that it went down, I was at a meeting and then I was driving to the church 
to be at a meeting, and I call home, and I'm talking to Cheryl, just kind of going through the day, and all of a sudden I hear on the outside of the house, she's on the inside, kids start screaming, oh no, it's bad, it's bad, and uh, mom, come quick, come quick, and, and Cheryl goes, what, 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 ah, uh, there's blood, there's blood, and then she hangs up the phone. <laughs> So, so I'm driving like 90 miles an hour down Indian Town Road, and all of a sudden, sudden you know, I pull. I'm going down down the road towards our house. I'm I'm flying. You know, I shouldn't be driving that fast, but I was. If that was your cat, I'm sorry, but but I'm again. And so as I'm on on the way there, the phone rings, and it's Abigail, my 16 year old, and she's like, "Dad, it's bad. It's bad. There's blood everywhere." And I'm like, "Who?" Who is it? You know, and nobody's told me. Who to, and if if you don't know, we have twelve kids. We have eleven kids at home, so it could be anybody. So I'm flying home, and uh, she says it's Emma. And I'm no, oh, no, not Emma. So I go flying back to the house, and I go, I pull, I beat the fire department there, by the way. So I, I get, I, I pull into the, the the house, and I and I run over to where she's laying down in the yard, and there really was there was blood everywhere. And I go running up to her, and she looks at me, and she goes, "Hello, father." <laughs> So at that point, I know we're probably going to be okay. So the fire department comes, and she had been riding her bike, and it didn't have the, the rubber hand grips on the side. She flips the bike, and it goes you know, through the leg. So anyways, uh, kind of a fun, fun day. I think of uh, all the answered prayers that we've experienced this year as a family, all the answered prayers that we've seen here at the church. And so I wanted to talk today, as we end this year, just about what's most important what's most important. Uh, Many people go through life, even those who are believers, and they go through life and they never come to the place where they've decided this is most important. And uh, because of that, we see in our world today, we see in the church marriages unraveling, we see children struggling, we see families falling apart. So I thought I'd take a few minutes today and just talk about the subject of what's most important and then evaluate the last year and ask ourselves, did we get the most important done? Or, and, and if we did, that's great. Then how do we do better next year? But if we didn't get the most important things done in the past year, how do we make changes so that as we go into the new year, we're able to get the most important things done? Uh, there was a Growing up, there was a tract, and you know they used to have these tracts that they pass out, and most tracts were for unbelievers, but this was a tract for believers, and it was called the tyranny of the urgent. And the story in the tract was how Jesus went through his life, and it comes to the end of his life, and not everyone is saved, not everyone is healed, not everyone is fed, but on the cross he was able to say, it is finished. The idea is that he knew what was most important, and he got the most important thing done, even though that meant that not everything was going to get done. And so again, not everyone was fed, not everyone was healed, and not, not everyone was saved, but he got the most important thing done. He was able to say, it is finished. So one of the things that we have to do, and I want you to write this down, we'll pack it as we go, but we have to decide, we have to decide what's most important. And most people never consciously make that decision that this is going to be important. Now, here's what this means. When I decide that this is important, that means that this is going to get done, but there's a number of things in our lives that aren't going to get done, but this is going to get done because it's most important. You can only have so many most important things, and not everything is important. So I have to decide what's most important. So there on your outline... 
You want to write this down. In 2018, when I set priorities, decide on the big things, the important things, it doesn't mean that I do more, but I do more of what matters most. And again, Jesus at the end of his ministry, not everyone was healed, not everyone was saved, not everyone was fed, but he got the most important thing done. Paul would say it like this. Paul would say, live life then with a due sense of responsibility, not as men who do not know the meaning of life, but those who do. And then he says, make the best use of your time. And I've underlined that. Don't be vague, but grasp what you know to be the will of the Lord. You know, I, I love to listen to people through, through it used to be CDs, now it's you know, MP3 and, and all that. One of the guys I used to love to listen to was a guy named Zig Ziglar. How many of you remember Zig Ziglar? Zig Ziglar went home to be with the Lord a couple of years ago, but Zig Ziglar had a phrase, and he would say, you don't want to be a wandering generality, you want to be a meaningful specific. And many people, because they've never decided what's most important, they live their lives as a wandering generality, but they never become a meaningful specific. And so that's what I'm talking about today, deciding what's most important. So there in that little verse, Paul says, make the best use of your time. Now, when, if I were to paraphrase that, I would say that Paul is saying, make sure you put in what's most important and you do that first. Now, I realize that I can't put everything, I can't put everything in my life. So I have to make some conscious decisions as to what's going to be most important. And again, that means that, that some things are just not going to get done. So when I come to the end of a year like this, I ask myself, did I put the important things in? And uh, if I did, great. How do I do that better next year? And if I didn't, then I don't want to begin the next year with, uh, without making those things the, the most important. Many of you remember when you were in college that you took Psychology 101 or you took an education course and there was uh, a guy named Erickson that we all studied and he had the eight psychosocial stages of life. And uh, you come to the end of life And the last stage he coined, he said, the last stage is called integrity versus despair. And he said in that stage, we all look back over our life and we ask the question, did I live a meaningful life? And when we look back and we evaluate, we either have that sense of integrity, I I led uh, a meaningful life, or we have that despair, and that is we look back over our lives and we just have regret. We have regret. I believe that God wants us all to be able to, when we get to the end of our life, if Jesus doesn't come back, that, that as we look at, over our life, that we have that sense of integrity, we led a meaningful life, not a life that we look back and it's just filled with regret. Now we're all going to have some regret, but, but overall we want to have a life that we would look back and say, I, I got it right. So when we talk about this today, as a pastor, as a guy who's been doing this for you know, 20 years here and then, then before and being able to observe that just the world around and just some of the things I've, I've walked through myself. I want, as we look at this new year, uh, to, to make sure that we get what I would call the three biggest, most important things right in our life. Now they are obvious, they are glaring, but when you look around the world, even in church world, you'll find that these are the things that many times are the most missed, most missed. And so I want to talk about that today. 
So the big three. The, the first one for me is going to be my relationship, my relationship with God. Go ahead and write that down. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is God. He's you know, God the Father, God the Son. We'd say uh, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God, the Son of God. And, and uh, knowing that, knowing those doctrines are great, but those doctrines don't always equate into or to a growing and ever-deepening relationship with Jesus specifically. Many times we can have a relationship with church and institution, we can have great doctrines and great understanding, but we don't always have a, a vibrant, growing relationship specifically with Jesus. And when that takes place, I think that we really miss out on, on so much of what God wants to do. He created us because he wanted to have a personal, one-on-one relationship with each and every one of us. So there's this great story in the New Testament, we're all familiar with it, Jesus goes to his friend's house, his friend's name is Lazarus, Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha, and there in your outline I put a paragraph from the story, I want you to underline a couple of things as we travel through. It says, Mary had a sister called, or Martha had a sister called Mary, who was, and I've underlined, seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was, and you want to underline this, distracted with all her preparations, and she came and said to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me, or then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But then he says, and underline this, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part. I've underlined the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So go ahead and write this down. First thing we notice is that Martha was busy, and it left her worried and bothered about so many things. And Jesus says only one thing was really necessary. It's not that Martha was bad, it's just that she didn't understand what was most important. And, and, and so for, for Martha, she chose activity, serving Jesus, you might say, over the relationship. And she, served, she, she chose busyness over closeness with him. And so apparently, from Jesus' point of view, the most important thing was sitting at his feet, listening to his word. And you notice that, that Jesus says to Martha that you're, you're distracted and you're worried. And that's the result because she did everything but sit at his feet listening to his word. And when you look at Mary, apparently she doesn't seem to be distracted or worried or bothered in, in any way. But she's listening to his word. This always reminds me of one of my life verses which comes from the psalm, Psalm 119. 165, I put it there on your outline, and it says, great peace, and I've underlined that, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Have you ever met a Martha, a, a believer, that they're, they're doing all the stuff, but when you look at their lives, they're worried, they're bothered, they're frustrated, and, uh, and then you have a Mary, and here, Mary is focusing in on sitting at his feet and listening to his word. And Jesus says that there's really only one thing that's important. And certainly, Martha the serving was important, but there was something more important than that. She was missing what was most important. I, uh, 
So Mary, write this down, Mary was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. And Jesus tells us that Mary chose the good part, the good part. Mary's listening, she has peace. And Martha, Martha's there, but she doesn't have that peace. There's a verse in James that just says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So what, what this means for me in, in, in my life is that I want to make sure that I never miss the sitting at his feet. I don't want to just do church. If we're going to do this, if I'm going to do this, I want to have a relationship specifically one-on-one with him. And I've learned through life that I can't have a relationship without time spent in that relationship. So, so for me, it, it has always meant that first hour in the morning. However it works for you, it works for you. But for me, it's that first hour in the morning. And what I like to do is I, I like to, to spend some time reading the, the Bible, going through the Word. And as I do that, one of the, the ways that I like to do this is through a commentary, John Corson's Life Application Commentary. I love this because it's so practical. So you have the Bible passage and you come to those places and you go, what does that mean? And he explains that. Now, if, uh, if you ever get this, um, one of the things that you'll find is that as you read through this and you're, you're going through it, you're going to find that he uses a lot of the same illustrations that I use. And uh, you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to say, you know, he's a fraud. He's just stealing from our pastor. And be that as it may, it's still a good, good commentary. So, but, but it's super simple. I enjoy that. Another thing that I like to do is I have a number of Bible promises and I've written them down on three by five cards and I like to just go through them just to, to remind me this is what the Word says. And then I have a list, things that I'm praying for very, very specifically. And, and I, I just want to make sure that I'm there and I'm taking in His Word and I'm listening. And, and so many, so many believers, well-intentioned, will do anything but sit at His feet and listen to his word. You want to take his word in and develop that relationship. Does that make sense? You don't want to miss making that as your first priority because everything comes from that. Now the the next priority in my life, which I've realized I I, I need to be intentional, we've been intentional for many years, but you want to write this down. Um, For me, it's my relationship with Cheryl. Now you write down the name of your spouse, not my spouse. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> you know, but, but here's what we've learned after 21 years of marriage. That marriage, when, when you get married, marriage is like a garden. You know, it's a beautiful thing. And it's been said that marriage begins when two people can't say anything bad about one another and it ends when two people can't say anything good about one another. But marriage is very much like a garden. And what we've learned in life is that when you have a garden, if you don't intentionally tend the garden, weeds happen. Weeds happen. And so we knew going into this that that this was something that we were going to have to be very intentional about our entire life. And so so for, for we, we, we've had to take those steps to make sure that we, we stay in love and that we don't just get caught up in the busyness of life and find ourselves drifting and developing two very, very separate lives. So we have, we have a goal, and I want you to write this down. 
When our kids are gone, we want to still be in love with each other. And I know and we know in our family that that's not going to happen by accident. When um, in our family, we, when on my family side, our family tree requires a great deal of explaining. You know, our kids are like, so how, has, how are we related to this one? And this one was, was grandpa, but now it's not grandpa. And, and, who is, you know, and it, just, it, it, it has required a great deal of explaining. And it's the same in Cheryl's family. And what we learned when we came into marriage, we had a good idea of what we didn't want in marriage. But knowing what you don't want in marriage uh, doesn't always equate to knowing what you do want in marriage. Knowing how not to do marriage doesn't at the same time mean that you know how to do marriage and do that effectively. So it's been something that we've had to learn and we've had to work on. So in our life, what we've been very blessed with is that God has sent a number of mentors in our life through the years that have, that have helped us to be able to grow in this relationship. I love this passage, by the way, on your outline. Um, and guys uh, pay special attention, but it says, let your fountain be blessed, underline the word blessed, and rejoice, underline that, in the wife of your youth. Then you notice it says dot, dot, dot there. I'll talk about that. Be exhilarated always with her love. When God designed marriage, he designed it to be a blessing, not a drudgery. And so it takes some learning to figure out how that happens so that it is a blessing. Now, guys, what I wanted to talk to you about, there where it says dot, 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 did you see that? I left out that little line in there uh, because this is church and the children were up here this morning, but it's a little bit racy. So you go home today, look up that verse, and you show your wife and say, baby, this is what it says, and then say, I'm feeling a little biblical today. <laughs> so, and, and see how that goes. <laughs> so, <laughs> but all right, move on, Dan. So, so here, here's what I learned, and, and uh, I've shared this before, but in, when Cheryl and I got married, I had to learn how to love her and not fix her. Love her, not fix her. Is that on your outline, by the way? That's not on your outline? Okay. So uh, don't, don't, don't write that down then. But uh, if, it, if it is, but, but I had to learn to love her and not fix her. You know, marriage is great, but God has a sense of humor. I'm, he, he loves to put opposites together. Have you noticed that? So I'm a morning person. I get up at five o'clock in the morning. It's just like something inside of me wakes up and I get going. And I just feel like if I sleep until six, I've blown the day. But I married a girl who can sleep in and loves to stay up late. And when we first got married, this was a real point of contention between us because I was like, no, we are morning people. You get up, you get going, you start your day. That's just how it works. And, uh, but she'd stay up late at night reading her Bible and praying. And uh, I, I realized as I was praying to God about how do we fix this woman, that God's... <laughs> like I said, I've been learning, Okay. <laughs> So God spoke to me and said, you know, I made her just the way I wanted her. So your job is to love her, not fix her. And when I got that, I understood that, that, I, that it was very freeing, that he didn't call me to fix her. He made her just the way that she wanted her to be. And so it's so freeing. Now, when, before I got married, a little self-disclosure about me 
uh, I got married when I was 35, so I was a little bit older than, than you know, the, the, the normal thing. But um, I always had on my bed, I had a sheet, and I had a blanket, and I had a pillow. And I would wash them every year, whether they needed them or not, okay? <laughs> so, and, and so I get married to Cheryl, and everything begins to change. So I come home one day, and there's this thing on my bed. And uh, I said, what is that? She says, that is a comforter. I said, well, how much did that cost? And she told me, and it did not bring me comfort. So, and so, so then I noticed at the end of the bed, where my pillow used to be, there was a mountain of pillows. And I said, so you got some pillows there. And uh, so did we sleep on them? She says, oh, no. You don't sleep on them. And I said, well, what do you do with them? She says, you look at them. <laughs> Am I the only guy who's been through this? So every night for 21 years, it's this. How was your day? Everything good with the kids? Anything happen? And I love it. I love it. Because God created us to be very different, and, and it's a compliment. It's a compliment. Now it's a whole different thing. I don't know if you've had this experience at your house. I come home, I think the house is on fire, because uh, there's smoke everywhere. And uh, she says, no, it's not smoke. I go, what is it? She says, essential oils. <laughs> they, they have an essential oil for everything, you know. Everything. So, so, you know, I, I, I've learned to love and appreciate it and, and enjoy it. Now, let me ask you, is this on your outline? It's probably not, but, but uh, one of the things that the Lord showed me is that I married his little girl. Is that on your outline? That's not on your outline? Well, you should write that down. But if, you, if you're a girl, say, I married his little boy. That, that'll be, so you want to write that down. We have a, a movie in our house that, that we love to watch. It's called Father of the Bride with Steve, Steve Martin. Have you seen that movie? You should see that movie. If you haven't seen that movie, you've got to see that movie. And what, I, what I've learned as just from studying the Bible is that we're all like the father of the bride. So the, the girl comes home, she says, I've met a man and I want to get married. And, uh, but he doesn't see a young woman in front of him. It, he sees a little girl, four or five years old, saying, we're going to get married. And uh, one of the things I've learned about God is that many times we think that God is an adult and I'm an adult, and so we're having this adult conversation. God doesn't see us as adults. He sees us as, as his children. And so one of the things that, that the Lord revealed to me many, many years ago is that, that I married his little girl. And in marrying his little girl, she is very, very special to him. So if she gets on my nerves, that doesn't matter because it's his little girl. Now, dads, you tell me if this is true. I've, I've got five daughters, and uh, uh, none of them have been married, married yet. But, um, but there's something about a daughter that, you know, they say a son's a son until he takes a wife, but a daughter's a daughter for the rest of her life. So you marry off your daughter, and somebody mistreats your daughter, it's pretty much war, isn't it? Because they're very, very special to you. And, and so God is that way with his little girls. And so I had to come to understand that I didn't just marry a spouse. That's kind of secondary. 
primarily I married his little girl. And I never, ever, ever want to forget that. That's why Peter said this. He says, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers will not be hindered. Is that on your outline? Okay. Uh, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, now uh, ladies, I would say that you need to be careful how you live with your husband, that your prayers may not be hindered. But apparently God takes it very serious how you treat his little girl or how you treat his little boy. And apparently it hinders prayers. He takes it very serious. So in our family, we have, we have 12 kids all total, 11 kids at home. And so we've had to learn that, and you want to write this down, if we're going to make this marriage work and we're going to grow in our relationship, we had to prioritize marriage on my calendar, not just in my heart. Not just in my heart. And uh, so, so we've had to block out times and say, this is just mommy, daddy time. This is husband, wife time. And, and uh, we're very intentional to make sure that happens because it doesn't happen by accident. When I was growing up, if you're single here today, when I was growing up, I used to say one day when I get married, I'm going to be a great spouse. And I looked forward to that that day. It wasn't until later that somebody showed me a verse that I wish I would have known this verse when I was in junior high and senior high and in college. And so if you're single here today, here's a verse for you there on your outline. It says, she does him good and not evil. And I want you to underline all the days of her life. God calls us to do good to our spouse all the days of our life, not just when we finally meet them. Not just when we finally meet them. And another verse, if you've been married for 20, 30, 40 years and it's working, here's a verse. There in your outline it says, the older women train the younger women to love their husbands and children if it's working for you, there's a whole generation that's trying to figure it out. And if you look around the church block, as you look around the world, it's not working well. But if you've been married for some time and it's working, there are a number of people that want to find out how do you make this work? I would encourage you find a way to speak into the lives of those who have been married five years, seven years, ten years, who are still trying to figure out how do you make that work? Because this generation is not doing so good in, in, in that area. So I want to be intentional in my relationship with Cheryl because if I lose that, when we lose that, we, we, lose, we lose pretty much everything. Well, then thirdly, um, my relationship with my family. You know, Cheryl and I grew up in families that, that didn't have a whole lot of shared memories. My sister will tell me that the only time that we ever speak is when there's a crisis. And, and on, on Cheryl's side, our kids have first cousins that they've never met because we're just not really all that, that close to our family. So when we, when we came together as husband and wife and knew that we were going to have kids, we began asking ourselves, what would this look like in 20 or 30 years if we parent in this way? And so we've, we've established a few goals that we're working towards. And I want to just share those with you. One goal is that when our kids are old enough to not be with us, that they would still want to be together. That, that means with us and, and with each other. We want, if mom and dad go home to be home with the Lord, we want our kids to st- still say, yeah, we want to get together at Thanksgiving. We want to do Christmas together because that's becoming much, much more rare 
in our society. So we've learned some things, and we're learning as we go. But especially to the dads, I want you to write this down. The spiritual condition of my family is my responsibility. It's my responsibility. So I'm going to read this passage, and I want you to underline a couple of words as we travel through. All the way back in Deuteronomy, he says, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. There's two words that I don't see anywhere in that passage. One word is the word pastor, and the other word is the word youth pastor. The responsibility for our children falls on us as as leading them into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And, And it's not something that we can ever find in the Bible that's farmed out to anybody else. If we miss that, we are going to miss out on so much and we're going to look back with a great deal of regret. You and I, in our area, as dads, many times we teach our kids to hunt, to fish, to play ball. But if we don't teach them to walk with Jesus, we're going to look back and have great regrets. That's our responsibility. And so you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss that. And so that comes, as he says, by talking about it constantly. I love when our kids ask spiritual questions and we'll just sit there and talk. We just talk about the Word. We talk about the Lord and we talk about those things. I'd love to tell you that all my kids are super spiritual, but that's not reality. They're still in process. They're growing. But, but we talk about these things and there's seeds being planted. You don't want to miss that for a lesser priority. A lesser priority. Cheryl and I have learned through the years, you want to write this down, that traditions make memories. They, they bond families together. God is into traditions. He says, have a tradition, it's a great time to get together and have a feast. There's this story in John and it says, at that time the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem and it was winter, underline winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple. What feast or what festival takes place in wintertime that Jewish people celebrate? Hanukkah. Hanukkah, yes. So apparently Jesus did in fact put on his yarmulke and celebrated Hanukkah. As a great Hebrew theologian once told us. I'm glad that half of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but those of you who do, why do you know that? It was a non-biblical feast, but it was a tradition. And Jesus was there and he celebrated. It was a great time to get together and just enjoy other people. So an article that's impacted our family, why traditions are so important for families. And it goes through all the reasons. I won't read the article, but it just uh, provide a source of identity. They strengthen the family bond. They offer comfort and security. Uh, Family traditions and rituals are the antidote for the harried feeling that comes from our fast-paced and ever-changing world. They teach values. One of the main purposes of rituals, whether religious or secular, is to impart and reinforce values. The same goes with family traditions. They add to the rhythm and seasonality of life. It goes on to say they connect generations, and it talks about how important 
grandparents are in, in the family and traditions. And it, it, research shows that children who have the high, high level of grandparental involvement have fewer emotional and behavioral problems. And they create lasting memories. In her book, Ask the Children, Ellen Galinsky, co-founder of the Families and Work Institute, describes a survey in which she asked children what they would remember most about their childhood. Most of the kids responded by talking about simple, everyday traditions like family dinners, family get-togethers, and bedtime stories, those rituals that we do continuously. So in our family, we've established some, some, some traditions and, and rituals. So for instance, our kids know on Christmas morning we're going to have cinnamon rolls. And uh, they, they look forward to that. And it's, it's not that they're great cinnamon rolls, it's just that that's what we do on, on, on Christmas morning and they're there. We, uh, we play Christmas music from after dinner on Thanksgiving till January 1st. Everybody looks forward to it all year long. On January 1st, they're all like, please God, make it stop. But it's 24 <laughs> hours a day in our house. Every Christmas Eve, our kids know, they insist, uh, we, open, we open a gift every Christmas Eve. And they insist that it's the same gift every year. Every year they get a Christmas blanket. And for some reason, they love it. And it's just something that they remember year after year. We've asked ourselves, how do we do this on a day-to-day basis in our, in our family? Because we've learned that as our kids grow up, as our kids grow up, they make friends with people who are outside the family, which is fine. But many times what happens is they make friends outside the family, they lose the connection within the family. So how do you keep them connected in the family? So we found that those daily rituals, those daily activities that they participate in keep them connected. So for instance, in our family, after dinner every night, we have a rule. Nobody leaves the kitchen until everything is done. And uh, I don't know how it is in your family, but in order to do this, I have to sometimes say, this is where the kitchen begins. Over here, not kitchen. Can't go over here. Over here, kitchen, there is life. Step over this, there is only death. You stay, <laughs> you stay here. And so what we love, what we love, as, as Cheryl and I will participate sometimes, sometimes we step out, but I love as they begin to talk and they share that memory and they, sometimes you can hear them giving counsel to one another. Sometimes they sing and sometimes they bicker. And all the time for my teenage boys as they walk from the sink to the table, there's a sliding glass mirror and they always pose to make sure everything is, are my kids the only ones that do this? So it's just pretty much universal. But it's those things that keep them connected with one another on a daily basis. You don't want to miss out on those things. At the end of your outline, there's a verse, and this is what I want for each and every one of us. It says, the Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. At the end of our life, I want the Lord to look at our life and say, well done. You got the most important things done. But we live in a world where the most important things, even among church going, Bible-believing believers, these things don't always get done. Before 2018 begins, make a decision to get the most important things done. With that, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this congregation and for this season and for the children today. Lord, we want to get this right. We live in a generation where we get so many things right but we miss out on what's most important. 
And so as we go forward in 2008, I pray God empower us to know what's most important to decide and then to act so that at the end of 2018 we can look back and say we got that right. I pray God that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.